Welcome to the third episode of VSTMOL 2018 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is the Canadian who we have democratically elected to be on the podcast this week, Logan Saunders. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is an honour to actually be able to do Olche quotes as your intro for this week. And let's be honest, it's likely to continue for a little bit of the season now, I think. We said this last week, Olche is a star. Olche continues being a star. If there's one country I think of that's done democratic elections for a very long time, it's it's Georgia. Oh, definitely. Let's be honest, they probably gave everyone the vote before Switzerland. I'm not going to get back into that from um, from Amazing Race 31 again, but they probably did give everyone the vote before Switzerland did. <laughs> World's oldest democracy, guys. World's oldest democracy. Yeah, I think Stalin brought that in. I think Stalin started democracy in Georgia. And we are... Rapidly approaching the Logan Saunders birthday spectacular, which is next week as well. Huh? Which feels kind of weird to say <laughs> this, because obviously we are 100% not recording this anytime near Logan's birthday. <laughs> but it's Logan's birthday next week. Go team! It's like Jeopardy when they record their Christmas episode two or three months beforehand. Yeah, I think I think next episode, which will end up being the Logan birthday spectacular, it actually comes out on Michelle's birthday, I think. I think Michelle's birthday is the 21st of July. But she ain't here, man. She ain't. And instead, we just have to say, it's Logan's birthday next week. Yay, don't expect your present next week, because I've not done anything about it yet. <laughs> so previously, the final nine all met up in Tbilisi, before a performance of Julius Caesar ended up having nine traitors, when nobody ran back into the game. At a challenge at a quarry, Jean-Marc had a meltdown before he left the game mysteriously, having not slept for the past three nights. And they are in the Caucasus Mountains now. Art says a division is forming in the group, wolves versus sheep. He says he's curious as to who the third person to go home will be, something that the second challenge of the episode may help to determine. And as the team arrive in the mountains on day four, Bella says it's breathtaking. At the top of the mountains is a small castle, and she says it's something like Game of Thrones. Back when Game of Thrones had a positive reputation. <laughs> Back before they screwed up the final season. Yeah, it would have been just one year later that no one wanted to say a word about Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> yeah, we were rapidly approaching kind of the peak popularity of Game of Thrones and also the peak disappointment that was Game of Thrones. Sort of like following up Vidum Georgia with Vidum Columbia. Uh, no, I think Game of Thrones took a harder hit than that compared to the hit Vidum would have taken with Columbia. How about replacing Art with Rick? I don't know. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting to Game of Thrones level with that one, I think. But yeah, it still, it still amazes me that it's been two years since Game of Thrones ended, and boy, oh boy, n nobody wants to really discuss Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> I must say, I'm quite surprised that, that Belgi never did anything to do with Game of Thrones. It seems like the sort of thing that would that would be very much up their street. Just in terms of the cinematic quality and the distinctive music? Yeah, in terms of taking over a castle and making them pretend to fight dragons or something. Uh, well, you can pretend the ostriches are dragons. Yeah, good point. So it is day four in Stepan's Minder. They decide to appoint a treasurer at breakfast, assuming that today is the day when Art will finally actually give them some money. Jan rules himself out as he says he loses things quickly, and Emilio also says that he loses his phone quite a lot. Olche, obviously being Olche, wants it. She's good with money. 
She says that Steena always has a but when the group has made a decision already, and they end up, quote-unquote, democratically choosing Olche. Essentially just not wanting to say no to her anymore. It's the one time that Lewis doesn't beg everybody to change their mind two seconds later. It really is. It goes back to what we were saying in the very long section about why Jean-Marc actually ended up quitting. Olche is such a force of nature that I think sometimes it's just best to just say yes to Olche and, and move on. Because she won't give up. I want to be the penny macer. Yeah, whatever. You just do that and and please stop fighting for it now. It's just easier. So they meet up with R in the town. They can earn up to two and a half thousand euros of the pot. It is split over four cars alongside a fifth car, which has a doubler on top of it. Other red cars will drive around the town and try and box them in. If they succeed, then the team will lose the value of the car. And all the cars must drive for at least 15 minutes each before returning to the start point to bank their cash. Something that I do actually have to pick them up on, compared to now with more recent Vidim seasons, and it's a complaint that I've had in more recent Vidim seasons that I completely forgot that they still did in 2018. And that is, Art always tells them how much they can earn in every challenge. Without fail, there is complete clarity and complete transparency from production going, this is how much you can earn if you are top at this challenge. And you you don't see that anymore. You still see it in the graphics on the screen as long as it's not the final challenge of Czechia. But that transparency isn't, isn't a privilege that the players get to have anymore. No. They are always absolutely straight down the line in this season going, this is how much you can earn, we confirm it on the graphics on the screen. Maybe we don't tell you all the time because of actual twists in the challenge. Like I'm thinking mainly stuff like the truck escape rooms in China. You couldn't really tell them how much that was because that was the solution to the puzzle. But they're very straight down the line, especially up to this point in the season going, this is how much you can earn. Please, nobody quibble over this. Because he does it in all three of the challenges in this episode. He goes, you can earn two and a half thousand euros, you can earn two and a half thousand euros, you can earn four thousand euros if you're good at this challenge. And that's a bit of transparency that they've they've lost in the past three years. Well, all the other mole versions are always have that level of transparency too. They don't really yeah. they don't, that's not that's not something you should really hide from the players. Where you don't even get to know how well in, in the case of today, how little you get to earn. <laughs> Yeah, it's a common gripe that I, I know I have with Vidim Seasons is just going, well, why aren't you showing us how much money they can earn? And why aren't you showing them how much money they can earn? What do you have to hide? Why are you messing with it? Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird production change that's going to start happening next season. Yeah, because as this episode proves, you can still do a Path of Temptation challenge or a version of the Path of Temptation, like the second challenge here, while still telling them how much they can actually earn for the pot. If you had something like the Renaissance one where the maximum that each person could earn was 250 euros, then them knowing where the 250 was going to be, that still wouldn't have affected anything. Because you're still giving them the ultimatum of, you can earn this money, but maybe you're going to get tempted by something else. Yeah, or in the case of this this uh, path of temptation, it's so complicated with all the boxes that no one's going to be able to figure out how to do the math to locate the bills anyway. And also... As viewers, we're not necessarily privy to all the information in that challenge. Which is a slight gripe I do have in in these sort of challenges. Spoilers for the second challenge. So, Luce suggests that they minimise the high values getting caught, and all go along together in the high value cars. 
Olche suggests the use of the 50 euro car as a scout car just to see where the red cars are hiding. They also decide that the best drivers will be in the cars with the highest values. Obviously, Olche being Olche, she takes the highest one, 750 euros. I mean, you're not going to tell Olche that she cannot take the highest value car here, I don't think. You just go, yes, just take it, whatever. Yeah, here you go. It's not worth the earache. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, as I said last week, Olche is maybe my favourite Venom contestant ever. But I think it would maybe be slightly nightmarish to be around Olche all the time. What about Luce? Luce, because Luce is going to do a lot of begging in the next couple challenges too. <laughs> she is, and I do have a soft spot for Luce. She's another one I'd kind of forgotten how much I I've really enjoyed when I watched uh, when I watched this season the first time. She's not on a level with with Olche and with Ruben, who I am really really enjoying on this rewatch, and with Jan, obviously. Stina, I love as a kind of bumbling older female. I love Stina. Luce, I really enjoy as well. Actually, not mean to, sk- to skip ahead here, but I believe that Olche backs down to Luce, where Luce begs to switch groups, and then Olche just gives in. We'll get there at the end of the episode, but I think Olche maybe impulsively said, yes, I'll do the brave thing, and then had a crisis of confidence and thought, maybe I'll just get some goodwill and go, hmm... I'm probably better at organisation. So, Ruben takes the 50 euro car and is the first to set off. He gets stuck behind a herd of sheep and ends up being told to mine the sheep. Olche and Bella leave in the 750 euro car, followed closely by Jan and Stina in the double car. Bella says that Olche is the most confident driver in the world, thinking she can do anything in a car. (laughs) And to be fair, with the exception of working out how to reverse a car, Olche is a very good driver. Not like someone we're going to get onto fairly soon. She could replace Steve McQueen. I think it is an acquired skill to use a manual gearbox, which this was. Most of Europe do not use manual gearboxes anymore. And certainly nobody in North America does. Yeah, I think Olche has had a bit of experience driving a manual car. I suspect Simona hasn't. (laughs) You mean her stalling repeatedly? Yeah. I mean... I can sympathise, because it's not the easiest thing to drive a manual car if you're not used to it. I do drive a manual car, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts. But Simona was not in the best position for Simona here. I'm surprised it was her and Ruben that got to do the challenge alone. Yeah, I think it would have been much safer to make her the navigator and find someone else who was more confident with driving a manual car. Or using the freaking portaphone. Yeah. Because apparently she would only click the button but not hold it down to talk. Luce and Emilio leaving the 250 euro car. Luce drives and lets Emilio navigate her around. He does forget to turn the timer on for the first two minutes. And my next note is, has Simona ever driven a manual car before? Because it certainly doesn't look like it. She's on her own in the 200 euro car. And I also must point out, the art direction in this challenge is brilliant. Because I don't know whether you spotted, but there's like a tag hanging from all the wing mirrors saying on one side, I heart Georgia, and on the other, it's got the um, the Vidim logo. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. It was just a really kind of cute bit of art direction that they didn't need to put in there, but it kind of adds to the challenge a little bit when you spot it. It was very obvious, mainly when Simona and Ruben were driving, because obviously the camera's only focused on one person at that point. Uh, Ruben gets boxed in thanks to a construction site, and they lose the 50 euros that he's worth. 
neither Simona nor Olche can actually get the car into reverse, and that is because, fun fact, in some gearboxes you do have to push in a button to then be able to move it into the reverse position, including in my own car. And that really kind of threw me off when I'd never never driven a car with that before. It's not something you're going to learn within 15 minutes fluently. No, the, there's two main ways to do it, and one is to just actually be able to put it straight in, one is you've got to hold a button down and then be able to move it into the correct position. Oh, the, holding the buttons down, that means that's why Simona had no chance. Yeah, it's, it's more you've got to lift it up at the kind of base of the gear stick. Where you hold onto the gear stick, there's a little button there to be able to move it into reverse. Loose and Emilio see a red car, reverse around the corner, and then nearly crash into it as it boxes them in. He does park in front of them, and they reverse down the street to get away from him. This challenge makes it look like nobody can drive in Georgia without running into a bunch of sheep every two minutes. It really does, but there's something quite interesting with this, and it made Luce far more suspicious to me at the time than um, I maybe think now, because Art specifically said, make sure you follow the traffic rules. And I'm thinking back to UK Mole 1, there was specifically a sabotage the Mole did, where they didn't follow traffic rules on one of the challenges and made made the entire team lose as a result of it. Australia had the same thing too. Yeah, it was a very common early sabotage, that one. It was the man in the eye mass challenge. I was fully expecting them to get penalised for loose reversing down a street in Georgia here, because in most of the world, reversing down a street is not following traffic laws. Maybe the negative part uh, helped help there be some forgiveness? I think they were very, very lenient with that. In most of the world, they would not have got away with reversing down the street. 100%. Well, maybe it's just something people do in Georgia and everyone's okay with it. <laughs> maybe maybe by follow all the traffic laws, art meant don't speed and actually follow the stop signs and stuff around the town. But to me, as an independent observer here and someone who does know how to drive officially... I don't think you can really claim that reversing down the street is is following traffic laws. I was saying I I was certain at the end of the challenge they were going to get penalized for breaking traffic laws because that would be such an easy sabotage to do. But there wasn't any announcement of the sort. They said nope, everyone followed traffic laws. And I'm thinking, really, not one team with the whole reversing or running over ten sheep to score fifty points. Uh, nobody broke one traffic law. I do remember at the time when Art said, make sure you follow all the traffic laws, my ears kind of pricked up and went, hmm, someone's not going to follow a traffic law here and get themselves penalised, I think. And then nobody officially did. Especially with how often they stalled, I'm thinking, there's got to be a law broken there when you have three cars stopped on train tracks. (laughs) It depends, actually, with train tracks, because it does depend on where you are in the world. Obviously, you shouldn't park on train tracks because a train will come and kill you. But depending on where you are in the world, sometimes you can kind of creep into the box in front of train tracks if it's open or whatever. Sometimes you 100% cannot until it's clear. There's a little bit of ambiguity there. Whereas reversing down the street, I think in most parts of the world, you would get a ticket if a police officer saw you doing that. So Simona is the next to come up against the flock of sheep, while Luce and Emilio drive up onto a farm track. Alce and Bella get caught with just 15 seconds to go. Jan and Stina complete their 15 minutes in the double car, but then stall on a hill. Emilio and Luce complete their 15 minutes, but Luce turns into a street where a red car is already parked. Luckily for them, it moves, and they do manage to return with their 250 euros. 
they got lucky there that it was just moving just as they were approaching it. Yeah, I think that might have been Jan and Stina's car. It looked like it was about the same place when they stalled. On that same hill? Simona also completes hers and banks the 200 euros, and they end up going back and pushing Jan and Stina across the line to double their 450 euros, making 900 euros of possible 2,500 for the challenge. This, for the first time all season, pushes the pot into the green, and Olche, as treasurer, receives notes for the first time. It's funny that Bella and Olche fail, but somehow Simona succeeds. How the hell did that happen? And you remember at the end of last episode, I can't actually remember whether this was in the um, in the what did the mole do section or not, but I mentioned that I genuinely couldn't remember whether they end up getting into the positive in this episode. And it was because of the second challenge. I remembered them losing a fair bit of money in that second challenge, and I couldn't remember whether they actually broke even again by the end. <laughs> Luckily, they do. <laughs> and continuing her ex-edit... Bella says that nobody asks important questions when they're all as a group. They just enjoy their food or whatever. Like, Bella has a massive uptick in airtime this week, and that's because she goes home. We saw nothing of her in the first two episodes. No, like, I'm, I was thinking, I even noticed her tattoos. She has tattoos of the suits of playing cards on her knuckles. She does, and you could spot that in the um, in the test scene last episode as well, because I did mean to mention it. I'm like, she does genuinely have the the playing card suits tattooed on her knuckles. I want to know the story behind that. How did that not make it into the episode? You can't just show up and be like, oh, yeah, just classic case of woman with playing card suits on her knuckles, tattooed. And she didn't even end up playing her Joker. <laughs> oh, the irony. So their second challenge is at the Gergerti Trinity Church, and Art looks freezing. I don't think this was the warmest episode, but Art genuinely looks so cold when he's introducing this challenge. I I even wrote down during the execution where where I wrote down everyone is shivering in their chairs waiting to be executed, including Art. <laughs> no one looked warm at that execution. It was one of the most beautiful spots they've ever done for an execution. But my god, did everyone want to go inside as soon as they could. And yet they type in like five or six names at that execution. Last week I mentioned that they don't really do cold weather seasons anymore. They did a cold weather episode here, because by the next episode they're back in Tbilisi, and very much running around in short sleeves again. It's just because they're so high up that, yeah, they end up being a little bit cold. Well, if they film this in May or June, I presume that even at that point it was a colder day than expected up there. It shouldn't be cold to the point that you're shivering in the mountains in May. Yeah, next week is the reason that we know this season filmed in May, because one of the challenges happens on National Day, and you can actually find out when Georgian National Day is, and I think it's sometime around about the 26th of May, if I remember rightly. Most Independence Days are usually during the summer. Yeah, I think that's maybe slightly deliberate. They just want to wrap up the war with their... uh invaders or their oppressors at that time like yeah uh, winter we'll leave it alone but summer yeah we're gonna we're gonna kick you guys out so art says that in vs demol kenis is macked knowledge is power but what is the best tactic why is ken always macked at least once each season and who who is ken why do they keep bringing up this guy why does he keep getting macked ken is the australian producer 
and macking is an Australian slang term for making out, basically. That's what it is. It's just them talking about Ken being basically a little slut behind the scenes. Oh, so it's like a reference amongst producers, like, uh, contestants, watch out for this Ken guy, because he might try to make out with you. You know, as we say, Ken is macked. Yeah, it's like, where's Ken now? Shouldn't he be working? It's like, guys, Ken's macking again. And then it's just kind of shortened to Ken is macked. So each person will go on a solo walk and look inside four boxes and may find something interesting. At the end, they will pair up with the person who was on the uh, parallel path to them, potentially exchange information before meeting another pair and choosing one of their paths to go on. They can take two items of the four boxes of the path that they choose, and they can potentially earn up to two and a half thousand euros for the pot. How would you play this challenge? I mean, there's so many variables here. Depends on who I'm paired with and who the opposing pair is. If I'm in negative money, though, I'm probably more inclined to tell the truth because I would want to win money on Vidum. Given that Ruben's probably the most similar person to you in this entire cast, say you're Ruben in this and paired up with Emilio and against Bella and Luce. I think I'd want to punch Emilio in the face in this challenge. It is an understandable emotion, to be fair. I think most people wanted to punch Emilio in the face when watching this challenge. Emilio did not earn any friends with his performance here. We're going to get to this probably for next episode, but I think... I think this was the beginning of the end for Emilio. Spoilers for what I'm going to say at the end of the episode, but Emilio was my number one suspect this week, and it's almost entirely because of this challenge. He just plays this, and he plays this in the most untrustworthy way possible. He plays it like a gigantic dick. There is no better way to say it. He plays it so badly if he's a contestant, and so badly if he's a mole, and you're just like, dude, you are being such an arsehole right now. At least lie. Yeah, like Ruben and Emilio go down the paths. Ruben goes first. Ruben tells the truth, right? He says everything perfectly. Yeah, Ruben, as far as we know, tells the truth about his. And tells him, do not touch my path in the slightest. Yeah, and then Ruben asks Emilio, oh, so what about your path? Eh, nothing. What? But I went first. I told you everything. Yeah, I know. I'm just, yeah, just... Nothing. Assuming that it is equally split, then there should be a 750 box and a 500 box somewhere on the same path on each round. That's what they're aiming to get. So there should be 1,250 euros split between the two paths on each side. One probably has seven, at least 750 and the other one would have 500. Yeah, or, or it could be a 500 and then three 250s. Assuming everyone takes money, you should walk out of there with 1250 in each round, in theory. Like, this challenge is a great way for people to make friends with each other in terms of within their own pair. And Emilio just completely throws that away. I get what he was trying to do, but he plays this so badly when the group sentiment is, please can we just stay in the positive money? Please don't dupe anyone. It doesn't really matter if anyone has an advantage right now because we're all doing so badly as a team that whoever wins is probably not going to get much money. And he just throws it he throws it all away as soon as he hears that there is a black exemption involved in Ruben's path. He's like, I have to mislead these people. Yeah, the worst part is that it's not even Emilio's path that has the black exemption. His path seemed pretty ordinary. 
given the information we have from the second round, you can assume Emilio's path probably contained a green exemption. Yeah. But yeah, Emilio just paints himself in a corner where his only ally is going to be Yan by the end of this thing. Yeah, he just comes across as being a massive knobhead in this challenge. I just like just how in disbelief Ruben, uh, Luce, and Bella are by just his reluctance to say anything. It's like, okay, I guess I guess we're not really going to have any money in the pot. But then the worst thing is he then gets trumped by Yan and um, Yan and Simona just going, yeah, we're telling you nothing. Have fun. At least Yan and Simona agreed to do that together. They said, okay, they shared with each other, and then they decided, okay, we're not going to give the other pair any advice. <laughs> yeah, but the, the key thing is, they do that, and end up, A, losing a black exemption and putting that into the game, but also, you don't want to piss off Olche. Olche is so going to hold that against both of you for as long as any of you are in the season. She's never going to trust either of the other two people now, because they screwed her over. I don't know if earning a black exemption for yourself is getting screwed over, though. <laughs> it's more of a ha-ha. I'm sure, I think Olche would be a bit angrier if it was just two negative notes and no black exemption. At least she was able to get the black exemption say, I'm pissed off with you guys, but this is this is kind of equivalent to payback for your actions. <laughs> and then she gives it to uh, Stina. <laughs> In the end, it does work out for, for Olche and Stina here. But I don't think there is any trust between Olche especially and Yan and Simona after this challenge, purely because they got busted trying to screw Olche over. And Olche is very much a salt the earth, you bastards are never going to be trusted by me again kind of person. I can't think of any other contestant who would just give their black exemption to another player. I think Olche is probably the only type of player who would do that. I have a theory on why she did it. Because from what we saw last episode, Olshay and Stina are very friendly anyway. She thinks by this point of the season that Stina is utterly harmless and is like, well, she's a player. She's very clueless. Maybe I want to drag her along a little bit. If I give her the black exemption, then she's A, indebted to me, and B, I probably still get to choose when that black exemption gets played. So if I know who has the black exemption and nobody else does, everyone else thinks it's me then maybe we have a little bit more power here. Is this the last block? I can't remember. Is there a black exemption after this in play? Yeah, there's loads of them. Do you not remember the China black exemption again? Oh, right. <laughs> black exemptions have a weird legacy on Vidum after this season because it obviously does come into play this season. Columbia, I don't remember it getting played. Does that? I think it comes up in the Path of Temptation in Columbia as well. Is that the one where you can open them up to get a black exemption, where you open up the Yokers? Was that Columbia? Yes, Columbia was the one with the twist to see whether you get exemptions. I think I speculated at the time that there was a black exemption hidden in one of them and it never got found. And then as a result, China puts potentially five of them into the game and they get played very quickly. I think it's about three tests on the trot where a black exemption gets played in China. And then Renaissance... Does one come up in Renaissance? I don't think it does. No, that's what I mean. I'm like, I was really trying to think. So I'm like, Renaissance and Czechia both didn't have one. No, but I think there was probably one hidden in the Absailing Challenge in uh, in Czechia. I remember speculating that at the time because there was one note where we didn't know the translation for it. And I think that was probably a black exemption. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying that. Back when the group was earning money. 
in the first half of the season. So you have Oregon where it isn't found, then Georgia where it is, Colombia where it isn't found, China where they very much are, Renaissance where it isn't found, and Czechia where it isn't found. So it'll probably come into play in 2022. They're going to massively try and force a black exemption into play. Actually, no. Renaissance did have one. Renaissance had one with uh, the Bridge Challenge, and it got sold back for the prize money of that challenge. Did Nikki sell it back? Ellie, I think, did, because it was the, the Pairs Communication Challenge, where they were trying to name the the most in a category, and then um, and then they got the option of either taking the black exemption or getting money for the pot, and I think took money for the pot. So there was one in Renaissance. <laughs> I've just remembered. <laughs> so, first pairs are Bella and Luce and Emilio and Ruben. Ruben's roots contains minus 500, minus 250, a black exemption 750. Emilio declines to share information, much to Ruben's frustration. Luce's third box contains a green exemption, and she tells Bella that the rest of her boxes contain money. Bella and Ruben both say to avoid their paths. Emilio is cagey about what's in his first and third boxes. Emilio and Ruben both decide to trust Luce and open her first box, which contains 500 euros. Emilio's first box contains 250, and Bella's is minus 500. Luce's fourth box is minus 500. Olche and Stina are a pair. Olche had 500 euros, an empty box, exemption, and 500 euros. Simona and Jan are the final pair. Jan has the black exemption in his second box. Simona says she only has money, both plus and minus. I think she might have been lying there. Olshay's side gets recommended. Both her first and last box contain 500 euros. She's honest about the third box containing an exemption. Stina's is minus 500, minus 500, empty, and plus 500. As we said, Jan and Simona decide not to give any advice whatsoever. Alche is not best pleased with them, saying it's typical of this group to have absolutely no collaboration whatsoever. They decide to take Jan's route, as Alche can sniff out a real prize being hidden in there, and they get a black exemption for their troubles, and minus 250. Jan and Simona take Alche's route, Jan finds an exemption, and Simona finds minus 500 euros. And that means that they score minus 1250 euros of a possible 2500 for the challenge overall, Olshay gives Steen the black exemption as a sign of trust. And she has to give the money back to Art. <laughs> yeah. At the start of the next day, she does have to give a lot of money back to Art. I don't know about a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, you, you wouldn't turn down 990 euros by that point, would you? Emilio and Jan also have a bond-forming scene where they discuss Jan having an exemption. Art says that they struggle with trust as a group, so it's always a good idea to have another challenge straight away where they have to actually trust each other. And it is day five. Everyone has a bit of a bond now. Emilio and Jan, Ruben and Luce, Stina and Alche, and Bella and Simona. I forgot just how how like it's a group of people, but it's really being played as four pairs. And I'd also forgotten as part of this this final challenge that Simona and Stina have a real blood feud. I had forgotten how much they hate each other. <laughs> Yeah, they stay snipe at each other in their confessionals. Yeah, they really do. I'd I'd kind of remembered them as being a little bit of a pair from this season, and they really aren't in in this episode. So Art does join them to collect his pound of flesh from Olche as treasurer. He's also looking for four brave candidates with good memories, and four with a flair for organisation and communication. Jan, Bella, Olche and Simona all quickly volunteer to be brave, much to Lucy's disappointment. Emilio fully admits that he's a wuss, but it's important to know yourself. Nay, nay. 
Alce volunteers to switch as Luce really wants to be brave, and Alce describes herself as the queen of organization. And I actually think if you're going to put anyone in the organization team, you probably want Alce to be there just to order people around and actually boss this challenge. And as it happens, that's actually 100% correct. You do want Alce bossing this challenge. So the organized four are at Kuderi. They find art in front of a table with lots of questions and walkie-talkies. The Brave Four will be listening to a podcast all about Georgia, divided into four chapters. Luce has history, Jan has food, Bella has sport, and Simona culture. Each chapter is two and a half minutes long. The organised ones have to collect all the answers to the questions on the table, with €100 Euros per correct answer for a total of up to €4,000. This is also known as, let's get some money into the pot for these contestants. Please, for the love of God, can we not end a third episode in the negative? Because by this point, they are, as I said earlier, on minus 990 euros of a possible 21,000. Just the fact this was a 4,000 euro challenge, and there's no way to lose money at this challenge, and each time they go an answer right, they're guaranteed at least 100. So all they needed was a 25% success rate just to be back in the positives again. And this is also a very difficult challenge for the mole to properly sabotage. At most, they can maybe do a quarter of this challenge and ruin it. But then they would be too obvious, so they're not going to want to do that. So they decide to split each other up into the four categories and take one person each. They organise the questions into categories before anyone sets off from the hillside. Emilio has Bella, Stina has Simona, much to her disappointment, as they've had bad experiences talking to each other before. Ruben has Luce, and Olshay has Yan. None of them reply when the initial communication goes out, as they're all preparing to tandem paraglide from the mountain above them. And Stina and Simona basically have no communication between them, because neither of them knows how to use a walkie-talkie, and they do snipe in confessional a lot. At least, at first, the people on the ground were trying to ask the people up in the air the questions. I think it might have been Luce, either Luce or Bella, who figured out to just give out the, just to repeat whatever they heard on the podcast. It was Bella. Yeah, it was Bella. And they're like, oh, wait, yeah, that's a much easier way to do it, rather than them try to hear our specific questions while they're in the air. Just yell out whatever they hear on the podcast, and then the people down below can answer the questions a lot in a lot more efficient way. Well, that's the tactic, and more importantly, we have it established that all of them are going to listen to all four chapters, it's just each of them starts with a different chapter. So if you get them all to start at the same time, then you can just start swapping the walkie-talkies and have one person specifically on like the culture questions and one person specifically on the history questions, and you just have to make sure the walkie-talkies get swapped properly. Because the people on the ground, all they need to hear is the same two and a half minutes over and over again. They just need to make sure everyone's on the same page, basically. Or on the same chapter. Yeah. I guess if they did it that way, they would have guaranteed close to 40 out of 40. I mean, they they don't perform as well as they could, and they still got, you know, 18 out of the 40 questions right. Yeah, that would be how I would do it if I were in Alche's bossy shoes. I would just go, right, this is what we're going to do. We need to make sure we know who's on which category. All of us stick to one category. We swap walkie-talkies when they change chapters. This is how we do it. And we get at least 30 questions correct, if not 35, 40. If Bella doesn't think to start just shouting out whatever she hears in the podcast, do they end up in the positives? <laughs> they score zero, 
They might know that Stalin Stalin was born in Georgia, and that might be all they get. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that they would have scored in the negatives in this challenge if if Bella hadn't had the foresight to go, I'm just going to start reciting what I'm hearing. It's the easiest thing to do. And then production has to be insane. Okay, from now on, until they can get together, every challenge is going to be worth 10,000 euros. <laughs> well, there is a really high value challenge in the next one. I don't know whether you remember this, but one of the challenges does end up being, I think it's 5,000 euros and it's all or nothing. Is it the tunnel? Is the tunnel one 5,000 euros? No, it's the zipline one. Uh, I remember what that setup to that challenge is and um, the potential earnings for that challenge is 5,000 euros. It's one of the highest value all or nothing challenges they've done in years. So I don't have many notes on this challenge, I'll be honest, because it's I mean, as you well know from sitting here for the past 30, 40 minutes, listening to podcasts is boring and trying to talk about podcasts is boring. <laughs> yeah, who wants to who wants to talk about it's a podcast talking about a podcast challenge. It's very meta. This is a little bit too podcastception for me. So I don't have too many notes on this. However, this is basically the genesis of the official Fiesta Mall podcast. They never had a podcast up until um, after this season. And the good feedback from from the idea of having a, a mole podcast kind of made them do it in uh, in Colombia. So, as we said, Bella has the foresight to just repeat the information that she's receiving back to them, and then everything just starts working. And she also finds time to mock Emilio for being a wuss and writing instead of flying through the air when she lands. And everyone lands and they reunite at the board. They got 18 correct answers, meaning they earn 1,800 of a possible 4,000 euros for the challenge. 1,450 of a possible 9,000 for the episode, and 810 euros of a possible 25,000 for the season so far. The mole is on a tear. (laughs) Yeah. And I will also say that they do always stay positive for the rest of the season now. This is the last episode where they drop below zero, thankfully. Probably by the insistence of production. The production probably had to step in and say, okay... The MOA has made sure that, what would that be, 97%, almost 96.5% of the pot has been blocked. <laughs> they, they've gotten 3, 3.5% of the total money they could possibly get in there. Yeah, it's, it is 96.8% of the pot has, uh, has been stolen by the mole so far. No, and compared to, we just covered Czechia not too long ago, where for a while they were getting 40% of all the money into the pot. And also the maximum pot for this season so far is roughly the same as at about the end of episode 6 of Czechia. In terms of what the yeah, in terms of what the max could be, yeah. like It's crazy, after this season we just get this tailspin as to how much money teams can, or how much money the group can earn. Yeah, I think that's a a topic to discuss in the um in the finale episode, but there is a definite shift from this season to Colombia. Cuz you change host, the prizes become a lot cheaper, being honest. We get twists that don't make sense and aren't good. <laughs> yeah, there is a notable quality change between Georgia and Colombia. So, it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least is out of the game, except for the mole who can never go home. Stina, Emilio, Simona and Bella all have yokers. Jan has a green exemption and Stina has a black one. And the test takes place at Sione. 
Ruben says that it's exciting to do the test, determining whether you're staying or going. Simona is an enigma, and she's constantly suspicious. Simona has a mole, and she thinks that she's correct, but she will keep spreading on Ruben, Jan, and Stina. She doubted Jan, saying there was a black exemption in play, and plays her yoker. Emilio suspects Luce, who's in the car with her, and she was suspicious when she sped up at the end. In the game of trust, she pointed them to her no money whatsoever. It is a gut feeling, but he plays his yoker. Luce suspects Emilio, as he's not being true to himself. Jan took an exemption, but because he knows that there is a black exemption in the game, he's taking a risk and not playing his exemption. Bella isn't sure whether to play her yoker. She also knows there's a black exemption in play, and leaves without playing it. Olche suspects Ruben, and that's literally all we hear. And Cena plays her yoker, but not her black exemption. Art says that he doesn't want to speak too soon, but they actually seem to be working together well. Everyone looks absolutely freezing when he's speaking. They all do not want to be on top of a mountain in the Caucasus. Yeah, and there is. It seems like the, I'm thinking this is a really scenic spot for an scenic spot for an execution. But there is no sign of any buildings anywhere nearby. It seems like they just set up in the middle of a field on a mountain. They are literally on top of a mountain in the Caucasus. And it looks like it's a little bit rainy, very windy, and, it's a, and it seems to be a colder day than usual, as is. It's probably closed in on the evening. The chairs are probably wet even before they sat in it. <laughs> I think none of them actually planned for for cold weather either, because... I mean, you see Bella, who has a very thin raincoat on. You see Art, who has a very thin jacket on. And it's like, none of you were even prepared for it to be remotely mountainous in this season. Yeah, it's funny. You even see Art, like, scrunching his shoulders together, too, during the execution. <laughs> it's also really funny that this is the first proper execution of the season. We're three episodes in. This is the first one Art has actually shown anyone a red screen. And he is so distracted during the execution because he's just like, I am so cold right now. I'm surprised he didn't just type in B-E-L-L-A at the start of the execution and and, uh, and ushered Bella away. He's just like, fuck this. I am just doing a rapid fire execution. I'm just going to select the person who goes home because I want to get back to a fire. The only reason maybe why he was willing to type in more names is because he's like, well, this is my last season anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Why complain now? So Simona, Jan, and Luce all get green screens before Bella is sent home. And I do have to point out that at this point in the season, four people, Ruben, Olche, Emilio, and Stina, haven't even seen one of their screens. Everyone seems to be very shocked when Bella goes. Yeah, that was an unusually big reaction. What the hell was that about? Like, they knew someone had to go home. Why is it particularly shocking it's Bella? My absolute favourite thing is the fact that when she's talking to Art at the end, she's like, I had the most fun out of anyone here. And I, hand on heart, can say, I think we saw maybe one minute of Bella in the past three episodes. <laughs> she was so under-edited. More so than Jean-Marc. And Jean-Marc literally disappeared midway through a challenge. Yeah, we... I can't really think of any key scenes with Bella other than, oh, she gave out the answers... She had a little bit of a bond during the the Ken is Macked challenge. Yeah, she doesn't really get... I would like to do a confessional count for Bella in the first three episodes, because that count may only reach about five or three hours. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I bet it doesn't top five. Including her, I'm Bella, I'm a singer in a band. Including that one, I don't think it tops five. Uh, maybe she gets six or seven. Just random commentary blips. I can't remember her doing any commentary really when they were in Armenia. It was all Simona, I think. And then she's just basically there. She maybe had one in, in episode two talking about how terrible it was that Ron went and how much of uh, a bastard they all are. And then she gets a weird uptick in this episode because she's going home. But she still only has maybe two or three confessionals in this episode. So, next time, Independence Day has everyone looking through the crowds as the search for the mole heads underground before they play for an exemption to the finale and fly from a rooftop. And I will say two points. Number one, one of my favourite Vidum subplots ever begins in the next episode. And number two, the next episode is amazing. The next episode may be my favourite one of the season. Because there is a really good sabotage in the next episode. And I'm hoping you're thinking of the same one I am here, but there is such a good mole action in the next episode. It's one of my favourites ever. Oh, I think I know which one you're talking about now. It's at the end. It's in the final challenge, right? No, it's not in the final challenge. It's in the exemptions to the finale challenge, anyway. Put it this way, the what did the mole do section in the next episode is going to be one where I have a lot to say, because the mole does something big in the next episode. So, looking back at my suspect list, because instead of doing the um, the suspicions, I'm just going to tell you who I suspected at the time. So my order was Emilio, Luce, Jan, Ruben, Olche, Simona, and Stina. The top three from Bother's Bar that week were Olche, Simona, and Luce in that order. Interesting. Have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think I'm good for this episode. Cool. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Mole 2018 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another old mole in Georgia. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky, and I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. And please stay tuned to discuss what the mole actually did. Peace out, and just chill till the next of flavoring. So what did the mole do this episode? Uh, let's see. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. Uh, what, let's see what Yan did. I don't think Yan really sabotaged in the car challenge, I'll be honest. Although, he did place himself where a mole should place themselves in that challenge and go for the doubler. Because you can cost the team so much money by being in the doubler car. I think if the other four cars had got back, Yan would have conveniently driven into the red cars. Yeah, maybe at this point you just felt bad. Once you get to about a 90% success rate, maybe it's time to put your foot off the gas pedal a bit. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was very convenient that he did manage to stall the car on the hill. Just to give it a little bit of ambiguity about whether the doubler was going to get back. I mean, he definitely had the chance to sabotage here. I think it's just because it only doubled up to 900 euros. Yeah, I have a feeling that him stalling the car on the hill was very much a deliberate sabotage and he he had to make a judgement call as to whether he was just going to get himself trapped or not. In the X-shaped path to temptation I mean, what did he do? He basically convinced Simona not to give the other team any information, knowing that there was a 50-50 chance of them picking up a lot of negative money in that challenge. 
And a lot of mistrust. <laughs> yeah, and what did they do? They picked up a lot of negative money in that challenge, and it basically screwed Olche's trust in them. What's funny is that nobody, none of the other three people, will ever suspect Yana as the mole. No, that's the thing. He's always kind of floating around there. Simona seems to be the only person who actually suspects him at this point. But nobody puts a test on Yana until the end of the game. That's the thing. I think there's only two tests where he is anyone's main suspect in the entire season. And both of those are the same person. (laughs) And in the final challenge, I mean, we don't have the breakdown, but I would probably put money that the one that they got the least amount of questions right on was going to be the food one. I think a mole should probably want to be on the board, but I think at that point when they're in negative 990 again, the producers just went, go on, have fun. You can go on the paraglides if you want. But if they'd been sort of above about 5,000 euros, I suspect that Jan may have pushed a little bit harder to be on the question answering bit. I did notice that he was not the one to decide to to recite what he heard on the podcast. In fact, they showed him as the very last person to follow suit with doing this. Yeah, I think that in the same way that you can look at the Czechia sabotages and go, well, that mole didn't even complete a list in the lift challenge, you can go, I bet Jan didn't complete many questions of his category. Yeah, because he was the la- he was he was the last one out of the four to start speaking. So I think it's just like if he waited any longer, he would really stick out as a suspect. So he waited until oh, everyone else has caught on to the strategy. Damn it, I guess I better follow suit too and pl- and pretend to be like a player. And I mean, at this point, a third of the way through the season for us, Jan is a brilliant mole. Jan is going to do something really fun next episode. It's the one time where I'm like, yeah, that producer sabotage was really fun. You got anything else to say about Jan? No, but I think he's even more impressive than what I remembered. And with a 96.5% success rate after three episodes, I'd say he's doing pretty damn well. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. A third of the way through the season, you're just like, Jan is really good at this. He's he's made for this role. 96.5% success rate, and not a single person suspects him in the game. And for some reason, Emilio trusts him 100%, and Emilio trusts everyone else 0%. And Emilio's trust is going to be repaid in spades in the next episode. <laughs> yes, and we're not talking about the tattoos on Bella's knuckles. 